On this week in Enterprise Tech, Mr. Brian Chee, Mr. Curtis Franklin, join me back on the show today. And today we're going to talk about cybersecurity skills gaps. How are organizations actually bridging this divide amidst a rapidly evolving threat landscape? We'll get into that. Plus, get ready for an exclusive segment with Mike Starr. He's CEO and founder of Track D and also a former NSA engineer. He will shed some light on the often conflicting realms of operational efficiency and cybersecurity. You definitely shouldn't miss it. Quiet on the set. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This week in Enterprise Tech, episode 569, recorded November 10th, 2023. Are your patches tracked? This episode of This Week in Enterprise Tech is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Now, ACI Learning. ACI's new solution, Insights, assists in identifying and fixing skill gaps in your IT teams. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. Twit listeners can receive up to 65% off an IT Pro Enterprise Solution Plan after completing their form. Based on your team's size, you'll receive a properly quoted discount tailored to your needs. And by Howl Alto Networks. Their zero trust for OT security solution can help your business achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, find the link in the show description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. And by Thanks Canary. Canary tokens are a quick, painless way to help defenders discover they've been breached by having attackers announce themselves. For 10% off and a 60-day money-back guarantee, go to canary.tools slash twit and enter the code twit. And the how do you hear about us box? Welcome to Twyatt This Week in Enterprise Tech, the show that is dedicated to you, the enterprise professional, the IT pro, and that geek who just wants to know how this world's connected. I'm your host, Louis Moresca, your guy through the big world of the enterprise. I can't guide you by myself. I'm going to bring in the professionals and the experts on our very own Mr. Curtis Franklin, principal analyst at Omdia, and the man who is, always has the pulse of the enterprise. Curtis, it's always great to have you back on. What's been going on for you this week? Oh, we are in the middle of writing a bunch of stuff. I've got lots of end of year reports coming due, big data assets, the analysis of those assets, talking about a few companies, just more analysis than you can shake a stick at. And uh, it's a good thing because we do have the end of the year roaring down upon us. Um Lots of good stuff. And I tell you what, it's looking like 2024 is going to be every bit the exciting ride that 2023 has been. That it will be. That will be. Great to have you back, Curtis. We also have to welcome back our network expert, all-around techie, Mr. Brian G. Chebert. I hear that you have survived Maker Fair. I have just barely. <laughs> I, I do want to have a tech tip for our viewers. Don't forget... Just because Wi-Fi is ubiquitous, every time someone joins a Wi-Fi network, there is a bunch of encryption and decryption that's happening behind the scenes. That is CPU load somewhere. Right. So if all of a sudden you, you've been measuring CPU and, you know, life is good and you're some normal, normal day and then suddenly you have, say, Two, three, four, five, a thousand guests. 
that is a much, much bigger CPU load on your infrastructure. So keep that in mind when you're trying to do calculations on what will fit on your core. Well, thank you, Chibert. We'll definitely have to get into some of that stuff later. But coming up on the show, we're also going to tackle the skills gap in cybersecurity. That's really an intimidating challenge for a lot of organizations worldwide. So we'll definitely talk about that. And also get ready for an exclusive segment with Mike Starr, CEO of TrackD, and also a former NSA engineer. Mike will shed some light on the often conflicting realms of operational efficiency and cybersecurity, how they go together, and often I'll actually offer some pretty unique insights there as well. So definitely stick around. Lots more to talk about there. But we also have to get into this week's news blips. Let's go ahead and do that. Well, folks, this U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has identified a significant vulnerability in the service location protocol, or SLP as known, and added to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog. Now, this high severity flaw catalog does CVE 2023-29552 has a CVSS score of 7.5, and it actually poses a substantial threat to network security across numerous organizations. SLP protocol is actually enabling systems on a local network to discover each other and communicate. It actually has been identified by as a compromise uh, and has a ton of vulnerabilities now. It allows unauthenticated remote attackers to register services and use spoofed UDP traffic to actually launch denial of service attacks with a potentially massive amplification factor here. This vulnerability was disclosed earlier this April by cybersecurity firms BitSight and CureSec, and its details of its exploitation are still being unraveled. However, BitSight has warned that this flaw could be weaponized to stage DOS attacks with a high amplification factor posing a significant threat to targeted networks and servers. The concern here is not just about the scale of the attacks, but also about how the really the ease in which relative under under resourced threat actors can actually exploit this vulnerability to cause extensive damage. Given the severity of this issue, CISA has mandated federal agencies actually implement necessary mitigations by November 29th. Now, these measures include actually disabling the SLP service on your systems and operating systems on especially untrusted networks to actually protect them against this amplified DOS attack. Now, for the broader IT and enterprise community, this serves as a stark reminder of the ever-evolving cyber threats that are out there. It's also a significant security risk that requires immediate attention. So organizations are advised to actually go out and patch vulnerable devices urgently and consider other safeguards like intrusion detection and prevention systems to mitigate the risks with the vulnerabilities. Now, this situation underscores the importance of proactive cybersecurity measures really in the era of digital threats as they become more sophisticated and more widespread. Speaking of evolution, this week, one of the hottest new technologies was hit by one of the older, more reliable attacks as OpenAI's ChatGPT was struck by good old-fashioned DDoS activity. According to an article on Dark Reading, the company attributed recurring disruptions to a DDoS attack resulting in high error rates in both the API and ChatGPT itself. According to their statement, ChatGPT itself, all open API, open AI API services, labs, and playground were affected. Researchers quoted in the article said that there are a couple of possible reasons for an attack like this. One is to lower confidence in the generative AI service. The other is to mask data exfiltration activity, something that's a real concern given the vast amounts of data that engines like ChatGPT require to build their models. 
It's somewhat ironic that OpenAI has fallen victim to the attack since DDoS attacks have become more sophisticated and, ironically, often use AI to add further sophistication to the botnet, botnet attack modules. The outages come following OpenAI's recent milestone of surpassing 100 million weekly active users, which it revealed at its first in-person event on Monday of this week. During the event, the company also introduced its most powerful AI model, Chat or GPT-4 Turbo, and unveiled a feature enabling users to create personalized versions of ChatGPT. Now, while OpenAPI hasn't yet commented on who's behind the attacks, hacker group Anonymous Sudan claimed responsibility for the DDoS attacks via its Telegram channel. The group, which taunted the company during the outage in another Telegram post, cited OpenAI's cooperation with Israel as one of the motives and claimed the AI is also used to develop weapons. Anonymous Sudan, also known as Storm 1359, was founded in January and is primarily motivated by religious and political causes focused on launching cyber attacks against any country that opposes Sudan, which includes the United States. After Telegram initiated a suspension of Anonymous Sudan's primary account, the group launched DDoS attacks against Telegram. The hacktivists are believed to have ties with Russian hacking group Killnet, and researchers consider it a real possibility that it's not actually operating out of Sudan, but out of somewhere a little further north. Uh, I would like to thank Dark Reading and some folks at Ernst & Young for a really Really interesting set of surveys. The headline on this is Gen Z millennial workers are bigger cybersecurity risks than older employees. Now, that was enough to really catch my notice. So the article goes, a new survey shows Generation Z and millennials, younger workers who have grown up as digital natives, are surprisingly more careless about their employer's cybersecurity than their senior Gen X and baby boomer colleagues. According to an Ernst & Young LLP's 2022 Human Risk in Cybersecurity Survey, although 83% of workers in the U.S. report they understand their company's cybersecurity policies, younger Gen Z and millennial workers are less likely to comply with them. For instance, 48% of Gen Z and 39% of millennial employees confess to being more cautious with their own devices compared to their work-issued devices. They also admitted to widely disregarding IT updates, reusing passwords for personal and professional accounts, and accepting browser cookies in far greater numbers than Gen X or baby boomer workers. Quote, this research should be a wake-up call for security leaders CEOs and boards because the vast majority of cyber incidents trace back to a single individual, according to Tappan Shaw. Ernst & Young, America's consulting cybersecurity leader, said in a statement, 
There is an immediate need for organizations to restructure their security strategy with human behavior at the core. Human risk must be at the top of the security agenda with a focus on understanding employee behaviors and then building proactive cybersecurity systems and a culture that educates, engages, and rewards everyone in the enterprise. So, Apologies to my students and their peers, but having grown up with pop-ups and such, you've become sadly more susceptible to just clicking on risky ads and pop-ups. While the old timers, aka the old farts, are less trusting of this new technology. So mileage may vary, and I'm sure this characterization is only partially correct, but something to take note of. This week, a new cybersecurity threat has emerged targeting the very foundation of software development. Recent findings by cybersecurity firm Checkmarks have unveiled a highly invasive malware strain ingeniously concealed within developer tools. Since January, eight developer tools have been compromised, each harboring a hidden payload with extensive malicious capabilities. Now, this malware, which has been downloaded thousands of times in the past eight months, poses a severe threat to software integrity and developer privacy. Now, the most recent tool, dubbed PyOff Good, masquerades as a legitimate obfuscation tool designed to protect developers' code from reverse engineering. However, its true purpose is far more sinister here. Now, once executed, it grants attackers near-complete control over the developers' machines, Capabilities of this malware are actually pretty alarming and extensive, ranging from extracting detailed host information to setting up a keylogger, capturing screenshots, and even rendering the computer inoperative. The level of sophistication and intrusiveness of these payloads are really unprecedented. Each tool, while unique, shares common functionalities like the ability to download additional malware and steal sensitive data. The choice of targeting Python developers, often working with sensitive or even proprietary code, further amplifies the risk. Even so, all eight tools share a naming convention, starting with the PyOmf, which is actually in a calculated attempt to mimic legitimate obfuscation tools. Now, these tools are downloaded primarily from the U.S., China, and Russia, signaling a widespread impact there. Now, the revelation is not just a standalone incident, but part of the continuing trend malware actually infiltrating open source technologies here. It serves as a stark reminder of vulnerabilities that exist within the, of course, software supply chains. Now, so for those who are concerned about the potential risk, it's advised to search through and for any of the tool names and related indicators on their system. Well, folks, that does it for the blips. Next up, the news bites. But before we get to the bites, we do have to thank a really great sponsor of this week at Enterprise Tech by our friends at IT Pro TV, who's now called ACI Learning. 94%, think, listen to this, 94% of CIOs and CISOs agree that attracting and retaining talent is increasingly critical to their roles. Now, with today's IT talent shortage, we're going to talk about it a little bit later as well. It's more important than ever for your team's skills to be current. of companies say they actually have skill gaps in their employees. The challenge of accessing your actually IT staff skills is really overwhelming sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. ACA Learning now offers Insights, a revolutionary skills gap analysis tool to assure you that the training you're providing is actually working. In a quick one-hour assessment, ACA Learning's Insights will actually allow you to not just see, but understand and fix the skills gaps on your IT team. This is the solution IT managers have been waiting for. Now, with Insights, 
identify specific skill gaps in your employees and see where your team's weaknesses lie. Empower your team with personalized training. Blanket training wastes money and time. We all know that. Insights offer detailed solutions, support, and strategy by issuing recommendations and training plans for individuals and your whole entire team as well. Compare results against other organizations so you know where you stand. You can even test skills and close the gaps with practical labs that allow training and trainees to focus on the skills they need most. Now, ACA Learning helps you retain your team and entrust them to thrive while also investing in the security of your business. More than 7,200 hours of content are available out there with new episodes added daily. ACA Learning stomps its competitors with a 50% higher completion rate than the rest. And these are the training solutions your businesses has been really waiting for. Future-proof your team and company with insights from ACI Learning. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. Twit listeners can receive up to 65% off an IT Pro Enterprise Solution Plan after completing their form. Based on your team's size, you'll receive a properly quoted discount tailored to your needs. And we thank ACI Learning for their support of This Week in Enterprise Tech. Well, folks, it's time for the news bites. Now, on this week's news bites, we're going to focus on the critical issue facing cybersecurity sector, and that's the skills gap. We've talked about it a little bit before, but the industry, this industry group called ISC Squared estimates this gap being at 3.4 million professionals worldwide. To me, it's a very daunting challenge that can't really, re, really be resolved solely by the influx of graduates from higher education, right? The call is really for broader recruitment strategies, tapping into related professions and individuals with aptitude and relevant soft skills that are actually out there. Now, the Global Cybersecurity Outlook 2023 report by the World Economic Forum highlights a different reality that we're seeing here. Organizations are contending for talent from the same limited pool that's out there, potentially threatening the really the viability of security incentives and initiatives. This competition can lead to a transient cybersecurity workforce. That's a lot of churn in that workforce with professionals frequently changing jobs, which is really detrimental to both the individual's career growth as well as organization and their security. And the issue is really complex. While there's just a push for uh, to bring non-skilled applicants into the sector, a UK government report actually warns of this risk. In fact, it found that 22% of cyber sector companies employ staff lacking necessary skills and 44% of those job applicants fall short technically. Now, this skills deficit leads to unfulfilled roles and unmet business goals. Now, the heart of the problem lies in this really specialist nature of many of the cybersecurity roles that are out there, such as forensic analysis and penetration testing, pen testing, and recruiting high potential individuals without the required background can be a slow process. We all know that sometimes it takes months to get people in, taking years to actually upskill to the necessary standards that are required out there. Now, training emerges as the key solution here. We actually just talked about it in our ad, yet organizations really hesitate sometimes because of the volatile market. However, the industry data suggests that professionals seek certifications primarily to enhance skills and stay current, not necessarily to switch jobs. Now, cybersecurity is definitely a demanding field. We all know this, requiring really ongoing qualifications and really commitment to safeguarding data. Now, as we are encouraging aspiring professionals out there, it's really necessary for them to continue their education over and over 
over a period of time, continual learning. Now, I want to bring my co-host back in because this is a big topic across the industry. We all know that with the ever-evolving cybersecurity landscape, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal for organizations because they have to put a lot of effort and a lot of funding into it. And so does the employees. So I want to bring it to you guys. Just throw it out there, just the question first. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it makes sense to consistently bring in, uh, you know, people from all different backgrounds. But like the like this article points out, there's that initial tax you have to pay. You have to bring them up to speed on the not only the technology, but also the necessary skills that they need. And if they don't necessarily have that background, it could cost even more. So is this a what do you guys think? Is this something that will will continue to see? Or is this something that they're going to start targeting specific people with specific technical backgrounds? Actually, I want to jump in and do a mini rant. Uh, I ran into the buzzsaw that is negotiating with a large organization's human resource organization. And their attitude was that as long as you have the right buzzwords, you qualify. And they let you in the door and I get deluged with people to interview that really have no clue. I actually asked one, one kid, name a layer three device. And this is for a network specialist position. And they couldn't name a layer three device. Very frustrating. So here's, here's what I'm fighting. And I've had to hire lots and lots of people. Most HR groups, and this is even before we start getting into who we're going to hire, HR groups don't differentiate quality of education. I actually tried to put in a stipulation into my um, required qualifications that they be from a nationally accredited university or demonstrated experience. And the HR group said no. And I asked them flat out. So that means a kid with a diploma from a diploma mill is just as valuable from someone that went to an Ivy League school? And the answer was yes. So I think that's one of the things that you need to fight with your organizations, making sure that the training is equivalent. Um, just because someone has a degree doesn't mean they necessarily have experience, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of the education is worth the paper it's printed on. Makes sense. Makes sense. What about you, Curtis? How do you feel about this? Well, I want, I want to thank you for uh, choosing a topic that is one of my major uh, focuses of research for uh, this year and next year. So uh, thanks for that. Um, the basic problem, as we've seen, is that there is a skills gap depending on who you talk to, of somewhere between 350,000 and 500,000 people. Uh, that's the gap between the number of existing and anticipated openings for trained cybersecurity professionals and the number of existing trained cybersecurity professionals. And every professional training organization that you talk to, if they are being honest, will tell you there is no way to train that many people. It, it just isn't possible. So what do you do? We've seen the rise of managed security service providers, MSSPs. Uh, smaller companies especially 
are turning to MSSPs to handle their security requirements. In this way, you have one company's worth of professionals that handle a number of companies. So this is one way of dealing with it. Another way that we're seeing it being dealt with is through the use of generative AI. Generative AI isn't replacing cybersecurity professionals. What it is doing is enhancing their skills. So it's taking, say, a tier one analyst, uh, for those not in the business, that's the first level individual, the people who tend to spend their working lives combing through uh, device logs and network logs. And it turns them into a tier 1.5 analyst so that when they do see something that seems suspicion, it is more likely to be an actual issue, and they can pass it on to the next year with more context. Now, we're also seeing a lot of training going on, and you're see, starting to see companies that train, groups like Cybrary, for example, that are behaving as not only training firms, but employment firms. So they are telling companies looking to hire, hey, if you will sponsor people, and help pay for their training, regardless of their background. When they finish, you can hire them, and we, Cyberary, will guarantee their readiness to work. If they're not ready to work, you don't have to pay us. And that's a powerful incentive to make sure that the certification is actually reflecting on what they need to know. So there are a bunch of things going on here. Um, and we haven't even started talking about this mobility that that you mentioned. The one thing that's interesting, there are companies that don't want to train cybersecurity professionals because they think they are training their competitors' employees. But a number of different studies show that cybersecurity is much lower in that kind of post-training mobility than many other industries like, for example, healthcare. I think you bring up a really good point here. That, and I'm going to go back for a second because I've actually witnessed something similar going on in the industry now. New technology and tooling definitely is helping to augment people's roles and really sometimes support the skills gap out there. Obviously, you talked about the uh, you know, generative technologies, these large language models supporting this. I see it in not only code, but I also see it in managing services and infrastructure, uh, being able to pick the needles out of the haystack there. And I think that's a really important thing for people to actually use as learning tools to kind of bridge the divide and build some scats, some skills that are out there. But I think, uh, Brian, I want to bring this back to you because I, obviously being an educator, uh, it's it's more important not only to, to not only use the tools and the, and the content that's out there, but also have experienced individuals training those people. Does it make sense for organizations to maybe bring in uh, consultants and people to help train their people? Would that help them to not only using tools, but kind of using all these three things together that would help them get to where they need to be? I actually like all of the above. Um, the, the sad fact is um, just because your tenured faculty member doesn't make you a cybersecurity expert, not by a long shot. Um, I am a very, very big fan of public-private 
relationships where you have people that are in the trenches working with the kids to give them some practical experience. And speaking of which, we actually have our guest frantically writing. I bet you he's got some really interesting comments. Uh, Mr. Star um, yeah. from Track D, you've, you've obviously got some opinions and you've been in the trenches. Let's I, hear your two cents. Yeah, I've never been, been uh, accused of not having an opinion and, and a strong one at that. <laughs> Uh, but I, I completely agree with Curtis. I think that you know, I, I'm not super bullish on AI. That's uh, kind of a hot take, uh, especially in its current form. Uh, but I do think that ChatGPT is an absolutely amazing tool to accelerate learning for any any topic. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting is to be really good at Googling. You have to understand enough about the topic to write good Google searches. You don't need that with ChatGPT. Uh, or you need a very, very, uh, a very smaller uh, a set of expertise to understand that uh, and, and generate a generic enough prompt uh, to, to, to answer some questions that uh, about a particular topic and, and get enough uh, keywords to, to form uh, a good Google search. And I think that ChatGPT is fantastic at, uh, at doing this and will help accelerate potentially even past the 1.5 uh, uh, tier as as you continue to to uh, have a stronger mastery around a particular topic, you can prompt ChatGPT more and more specifically. And as you get better with ChatGPT, you can get more and more out of it. So I think that Curtis is an amazing point, uh, and and maybe maybe one that not not is super obvious to everybody. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think one thing, last thing I want to throw out there, I think, you know, I've seen with a lot of organizations, they're not only using tools like this, but they're also looking for very specific set of skills that, um, you know, people are focused on specific things, like whether it's infrastructure related or it's data exfiltration or, you know, it's data auditing, that kind of thing. And obviously tools can help augment this. But the question is, where where can companies go to dip into skills like that? Yeah, like obviously, you know, Mike, you worked for the NSA, so um, you are familiar with having people with a particular set of skills, right? But is there is there a place where they would go to find people with that type of skills? You know, I, I it, it's, it's a really hard one, uh, I, and I think that you know Israel's done a fantastic job at this. You you mentioned the NSA, um, eighty two hundred unit eighty two hundred is you know the, the corollary for for Israel. And, you know, they, they get conscribed for two years, Israeli uh, uh, citizens. And when they're in 8200, if they've qualified for it, they get trained uh, on all, all kinds of cool uh, technologies, uh, doing, doing uh, uh, fancy cyber. And when they get out, what the difference between the U.S. and Israel is that Israel has set up a, uh, a, a largely a mechanized way to support 8200 uh, former 8200 unit uh, members uh, to go start businesses uh, and start startups and and help them get funding or fund them uh, and and as a result they have just a fantastic set of of uh, cyber uh, uh, professionals. Yeah, Curtis. No, I was going to. I was going to absolutely agree with you that that's something where we're lacking. I know that our friends over in the UK do something similar, where on a number of their technical military positions, when they have completed their military training and done their service, they come out with the equivalent of a professional engineer license uh, so that they are ready to be employed in the civilian sector. 
We don't do that. We we don't consider military experience and training at the same level. And I think that is a uh, dramatically missed opportunity on our part. Now, our government does have free training for people in government sectors and veterans. Uh, and it does provide certification, but it's something that the veterans have to seek out and have to do in addition to their normal training for their uh, their role in the military. So I agree. If if we consider this as a country to be an issue and recent statements by the White House and by various members of Congress indicate that we do, then we should be willing to take these proactive steps to get these experienced, trained individuals into the civilian workforce. I'd like to make a comment about that. You know, I've had a direct involvement with several students from Sweden, from the Philippines, um, heck, even from Bosnia. Every single one of those countries have taken a proactive uh, step towards trying to fill the cybersecurity skills gap. Now, the American government, this this is an open comment to my Congress critters. Um, you folks have had such a hands off. I don't I want to be so politically correct that I have to be even handed. And I if I can't help absolutely everybody under the sun, every single one of my citizens, I'm not even going to risk introducing a bill wrong. If we can get even a half a percent of the U S citizens, uh, kids of college age, maybe an associate degree or a four year program, a half a percent involved, at least with some decent cybersecurity education. Maybe it's an elective class. Maybe it's an entire, um, string of classes maybe it's an actual um degree program just dive in give it a shot come on the u.s government you know the we spend millions and billions of dollars on all kinds of things but yet we're not really spending on cybersecurity outside of the military you're ignoring a very very large talent pool well, potential talent pool. Let's invest in that. We're going to talk more with our guest, Mr. Mike Starr, CEO of Track D in just a moment. But before we do, we do have to thank another great sponsor of this week in Enterprise Tech, and that's Palo Alto Networks. Palo Alto Networks offers ZT for OT without all that trauma. Keeping operational technology secure and running smoothly is a really tall order. It's enough to make even the coolest operations director wake up with night sweats. Now you can have a peace of mind with Zero Trust OT Security. Zero Trust OT Security delivers comprehensive visibility and security for all OT assets, networks, and remote operations. The Palo Alto Network Solution provides exceptional OT protection with more than 1,100 app IDs for OT protocols. 500 plus profiles for critical OT assets and more than 650 OT specific threat signatures supported. Now it provides best in class security while simplifying OT security management and it sees and protects everything in the network and it automates threat detection while implementing zero trust across all operations. Sleep better with the most comprehensive platform to detect 
manage, and secure OT assets. Learn how the Palo Alto Network's Zero Trust for OT Security Solution can achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, find the link in the show description or visit paloaltonetworks.com. That's paloaltonetworks.com. And we thank Palo Alto Networks for their support of this week in enterprise tech. Well, folks, it's my favorite part of the show. We actually get to bring in a guest to drop some knowledge on the Twi Ride. Today, we have Mr. Mike Starr, CEO and founder of Track D. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, we've, we, we have a large spectrum of experiences in our audience. We have the entry-level people all the way up to the CEOs and CISOs out there. Can you maybe tell us a little bit how you got started in tech and the journey through tech and what brought you to Track D? That's a long story, um, and I'm, I'm known to ramble, uh, and I got a warning uh, before we started about rambling. Uh, but the way that I really got into my, my background started off in network engineering uh, with CCNA course, uh, which is a Cisco certified network associate kind of academy. And we talk about, like, how do you get people uh, uh, skilled in, in things? Uh, and this was this was my, my first opportunity to do so. It was either take a pre-calculus course in high school or go do some computer weird with a CCNA thing, and I said the the one the one with the computer sounds far easier uh, and and far cooler, and so that started this this journey uh, for for me back uh, in two thousand six, uh, and specifically found a very tiny undergrad university, uh, uh, SUNY Alfred, uh, that that ha- was a, a Cisco certified academy, uh, and. Got exposed to the Northeastern's uh, Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, uh, and those two things, networking and security, kind of like smashed together. And, and I've been pursuing that uh, uh, at at I don't know million miles an hour ever since. That's why I don't have any hair. <laughs> That's right. We're all. Sure. <laughs> no, I actually saw in your in a little bit of your bio that you actually went to SUNY. Is that right? I did. Yeah, SUNY Alfred, really tiny school. That's uh, is that the one over in Buffalo area? Uh, it's about an hour and a half directly south of Rochester. Right. Uh, so if you're to dry like drive like draw like a triangle, yeah, I actually kind of used to that. used to live in Albany in this in this connected area. Oh yeah. So I was, oh, used nice. to go swimming at SUNY's. That's fantastic. Cool. Well, you know, I think obviously we we have lots to talk about here, but I think one of the biggest things is we often hear about the competing priorities between, you know, IT operations and of course, cybersecurity teams. So I wanted to start out with just how you, you know, based off of some real world scenarios that you're seeing out there, how does this kind of play out in organizations and how can they ensure that they have some, you know, security robustness there? Yeah, it's really uh, uh, interesting uh, comment. There's, there's uh, an example of this might be, um, the, the the weight between operational risk versus uh, mitigating cybersecurity risk is uh, deploy a bunch of firewalls everywhere. What does that entail? Right, just patch all your shit, uh, turn MFA on everywhere, uh, and and you know it, at at the best case scenario, people are just the the those that are making those edicts are are uh, ignorant of the operational risk, and and at worst they just they don't care, uh, and so. When you when you ask somebody uh, infrastructure IT to you know j- can you just include uh, patching these thousand servers or even ten servers or or five uh, uh, during an existing maintenance window you say well, well we have a mop uh, there's standard operating procedures that went through a change control board like we can't just throw it in not not to mention like if 
if things break, then, well, what? They, maybe they miss a Tinder date. Maybe they miss uh, their daughter's recital or, or dinner with their wife or a spouse or whatever it is. Uh, like essentially you're, you're potentially asking them to, to disrupt their life. And, and so this uh, uh, understanding that there's uh, operational risk associated with mitigating cyber risk uh, is, is the start to bridging uh, the gap between uh, security teams and, and IT and infrastructure teams. So building on that just a little bit, because we talked about this in our bite, obviously there's a significant uh, gap in human understanding of some of these errors and issues that are out there. How do you think the you know friction between what you call operational efficiency and some of the security measures issues and it increases with likelihood of you know human error and how do both the IT operations teams and cybersecurity practices help with that? How how do we reduce human error uh, when yeah, I mean, when it, it increases over time, right? The more and more challenges that we have out there, there's a likelihood of of more and more human error and and uh, it's going to impact both both teams. How do you think that? you know, the friction between those two things make it worse and how can they organizations make it better? Yeah, it makes it makes it worse. It makes it's like a lack of context makes is, is the, the main source of frustration between these two teams. And when security says, can you just do your damn job and patch or deploy the firewalls or add a rule? Uh, and IT is like, yeah, do you have a damn ticket? I've got 14,000 other ones. Uh, and, and, you know, the executive suites breathing down my neck for for whatever new thing. Um, it, it, it just enables people to, uh, well, it, it allows for people to not care, uh, and, and be flippant with, with what are probably, uh, if you assume positive intent, probably, uh, well-intentioned requests, uh, backed by, you know, normal human frustration. And so if instead of assuming, uh, negative intent or, or, uh, uh, throwing, uh, throwing a request over, over the field and just, uh, uh, ignoring uh the the other things that a operator needs to do either on the security seat or the it side uh, and attempt to understand where they're coming from what what what's driving the security team to be so pushy about a particular vulnerability uh or from this uh from the uh, security team side like what what else is on the it's uh, uh uh plate what what discovery work can i do uh, that might otherwise help them make a decision as maybe they can patch this today. Maybe they can uh, make this firewall rule approval because it's less risk, uh, et cetera. And so the, 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 I guess the answer is just context, right? Like context. treat humans like humans. Right, right. Well, so you talked a little bit about having a little bit of a mindset shift a little bit for each, each side of the organization to, to think about more about how people are handling this. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of pressure that IT teams and cybersecurity teams are having. What do you think can help reduce that pressure. Maybe that will help them understand their jobs a little bit more. What, what, what can happen there? That's really hard. Reduce the, like reduce the pressure. Really. It's, it's, it's a high pressure job. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot at stake. Uh, and, and I, I would argue that security and it folks aren't really compensated to care about the fundamental thing that they're, they're actually protecting. And that's the business operations, right? Like what is the un- underlying business uh, impact for whatever the hell you're trying to do? How does it support or detract from the, from, from the business? And often though the, those doers, if you will, the bottom of the, of the pyramid, like they don't get, they don't have that context. And so they're doing as best they can with, with little to no insight or, or again, context. And so it really comes from the top. If if the CEO doesn't care about cyber, doesn't care about infrastructure, uh, then why would the CISO, CFO, VP of infrastructure, uh, 
SRE IT admin. Why? Like, there's no point. Uh, and if there's so if, there, so if there's no directive from the top that actually mandates and not only mandates like some caring about this thing, but actually like doing something about it, putting in some kind of implementation, saying, "Hey, here's call it training. Uh, here's some additional context." I mean, we do this at Tract. There's almost nothing uh, across the team that we share that I don't share with the team to make sure that we have context when we get users telling us that, "Hey, this is." Uh, even though it's our baby and it's maybe it's an ugly thing, uh, we, we work towards that. Uh, if if we have to pivot, which we're a startup, so we pivot all the time. Uh, and I know it's frustrating. People are 90% done with a feature. I'm like, oh, we got to stop and work on this. Giving them the context, like they might still be frustrated and they might still hate me for that for that minute. But at the end of the day, if you understand the fundamental mission, then it's much easier to 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 get motivated. And if you're if that mission doesn't motivate you, then Find, find a mission that does. Right, right. Now, you, again, we talked a little bit about the mindset shift and thinking about, okay, why is this security professional asking me to patch this thing? And, you know, obviously, I've worked with a lot of organizations out there, and a lot of their leadership asks for people to be data-driven. Now, how do you think data, being data-driven can really help make better decisions here, both on both teams and, and maybe even across different parts of the organization? I think so. This this is a, a big buzzword of, uh, that that I, I struggle with quite a bit. It, it, uh, it you know, Tract was founded out of rage, uh, and and um, really like this is this is pretty much everything that drives me uh, is uh, is rage and data driven decisions is a great bias uh, to attempt to push something that you have a data on or you have a particular opinion and you put a bunch of data to prove that that opinion is is the right thing, and so. Well, I think that if you can have empirical data uh, uh, to drive a decision, you have to check to make sure that or validate somehow. Uh, uh, and I, I have opinions on this as well. But you you have to validate that the data that you're using uh, is in fact a a an unbiased picture of the thing that you're trying to do. If you have the same data, an IT and a security group has the exact same data, they can construe and say, hey. This firewall rule is not going to, or uh, firewall rule is not going to negatively impact our uh, 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 security posture. Sorry, the IT person or some business unit requesting a, a hole in a firewall. Uh, meanwhile, security could pull the exact same data and say, by enabling, you know, egress four four three HTTPS. Right? You say, well, this is this is going to uh, enable C two beacons from from malware, which is probably true. Um, but also if you blocked all egress HTTPS out of your, your, your company, you'd be doing nothing. Uh, and so, right. Like there's, there's like these, these super, uh, extreme, uh, points that people like to make with, with, with data driven decisions. You see it in marketing all the time. Um, really to understand like, is data, are you making the right decision given a set of data is like, where'd your data come from? What biases are in it? And, and, and really what's your ultimate goal? Well, we have lots more to talk about. We're going to talk about vulnerability management. We're going to bring my co-hosts back in. But before we do, we do have to thank another great sponsor of This Week in the Rise Tech, and that's Thanks Canary. Simply put, Canary tokens are tiny little tripwires you can drop into hundreds of places. They follow the Thanks Canary philosophy, trivial to deploy with ridiculously high quality of signal. There's a little room for doubt. If someone's nef- someone really nefarious browses a file share or opens a sensitive looking document on your Canary, you'll immediately be alerted to the exact problem. Now, Things Canary's founding team has a background in offense, but has prioritized defensive thinking in developing their devices. The Canary's teams is 
uber conscious of customers trust in their product and it takes extensive measures to ensure their devices do not pose any additional security risk out there canaries are designed to be secure by using memory safe languages and sandboxing the architecture ensures that no critical network secrets are stored on the canaries themselves to maintain security canaries are not allowed to be dual homed or span vlans as it could give attackers access to jump across networks now thinks canary has put immense effort into ensuring they don't introduce new vulnerabilities into customer networks. If a bird can let off just one warning before it's owned, it's lived up to its namesake and it's earned its keep out there. Customers have the option to actually break the backend authentication link to prevent things staff from accessing their console. Additionally, a third-party assessment commends the security design of the platform and software stack implemented by Thingst. Hardware, VM and cloud-based canaries are deployed and loved on all seven continents. Go to canary.tools slash love and see for yourself all the genuine customer love for Thinks Canary. Visit canary.tools slash twit and for just $7,500 per year, you'll get five canaries, your own hosted console, upgrades, support, and maintenance. And if you use code twit and how to hear about us box, you'll get 10% off the price for life. Thanks, Canary adds incomparable value, but if you're unhappy, you can always return your Canaries with their two-month money-back guarantee for a full refund. However, during all the years Twit has partnered with Things Canary, their refund guarantee has never been claimed. Visit canary.tools slash Twit and the good Twit in the Hattie Here Buzz box. And we thanks Things Canary for their support of This Week in Enterprise Tech. Well, folks, we've been talking with Mike Starr. He's CEO and founder of Track D. We're talking about security, vulnerabilities, training staff. I do want to bring my co-host back in because they have been chomping at the bit behind the scenes here and want to ask some questions. Who's going first? Gbert? Well, I've been listening to what you did. I've also been perusing your website. I, I do like the chameleon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but... I do a lot of work with small businesses and charities. And my absolute number one frustration is, oh my God, your workstation is two years out of date. Well, we don't have an IT person. Well, what I'd like to do is let's go and get in. So the description I got given off your website is track, track D, well, tracked, is delivering a modern patch management platform with a twist. In addition to a robust suite of conventional patch management functionality from vulnerability correlation to quick and easy, it, it says a lot of really good things. The part that I like the best is I work with a lot of organizations that don't have enough staff to thoroughly test patches you have a community of where you anonymize the data so that you can get feedback on patches before you commit could you tell us about that community and what drove you to create this other than rage well i guess rage was a big one (laughs) yeah because rage drives me on this topic too yeah, yeah, really it was, you know, I, I'd been sitting on a data center floor patching uh, uh, internet routers and I was like, man, if really hope that my BGP sessions come back up, my IPsec tunnels come back up. Uh, and man, if, if some, if I, if right cross my fingers, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my, one of our, our marketing guy likes to say, like, give you confidence so you can uncross your fingers and have peace of mind, which is really lame, which is why we don't let him say it. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's kind of that, that, that mantra is, um, 
uh, if, if I had known uh, of just one other person that had a similar configuration to me upgrading from one version to the, the, the uh, from the version I'm on to another version and it didn't break their then maybe I'd have more confidence that it wouldn't break mine. Uh, and this is this is exactly what the premise of Tract is. Is uh, you know, pe- what we found is that people, when they're going to fix their 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 or apply software updates, is they're they're crossing their fingers, hoping it won't break their shit. So we tell you how it's broken other people before you apply it to yours. Well, you're you're telling about routers and obviously PCs. What kinds of platforms do you guys support in your system? Yeah, right now uh, we support just uh, what we call agent installable devices. So things okay. like laptops, servers, VMs, anything running an operating system, we support every major operating system except for Mac OS right now. That comes out in Q1. Uh, and right now we're focused on operating system patching. Uh, this is a big gap. Uh, the likelihood that that operating system patches will break your is the highest. Um, mm-hmm. But most notably, less than 2% of patches are actually ever rolled back. Uh, and we have anecdotal evidence. We have a couple thousand data points now. Uh, that asserts that this is actually true. We have zero rollbacks um, or disruptions reported across uh, the patches that we that our users have deployed so far. Um, and again, a couple thousand versus hundreds of millions of, of mm-hmm. patches that are deployed is, is a very, very small data point. Um, uh, but we've been in market for about six months now. Uh, and and it's, uh, what, five, six uh, uh, patch Tuesdays. We got one coming up next week uh, and, and no issues yet. Um, uh, so, cool. Yeah. Yes, my, my rage is walking into a place and they tell me, uh, we did the patch and my system's locked up now. <laughs> so, yeah. Mike, thank you. But, you know, I see I see Kurt stroking his beard, which gives me a real good indication that he's got some great questions he'd like to ask. Yes, the, the beard stroking is always a, a dead giveaway. Oh, well, I'm curious about what, well, one of the issues that I talk about a lot and that I research a lot is risk quantification. In other words, it's one thing to say, we've got this risky situation. Just how risky is it? And when it comes to things like patches and updates, not all patches are created equal and not all vulnerabilities are created equal. And that's why we have things like CVSS scores and, and, and all that. So how does track D or track whoever you are, how, how do you quantify that risk in order to make sure that the most critical patches get the highest priority? Great question. I will uh, clear the air on, on how to pronounce the name of the company. Uh, it's either it's tracked or tracked D. It doesn't matter. Uh, but typically what we find is it is it is named uh, after the, the moniker of the Linux daemons, the little D uh, after something, because we do run in the background of your endpoints. Um, but if you call it tracked D, you're probably a Unix nerd. And if you don't, uh, you're probably not. We love you anyways. Um the, the the question that you ask is how do you how do you quantify your patching the most important uh, uh, vulnerability? And the interesting uh, point that I like to make here is that risk based vulnerability management is largely, and the reason it's largely is been in market for almost ten years, if not longer, uh, and we've got we're in a worse state than we were when we started. Now we're getting more vulnerabilities are being disclosed and blah blah blah, uh, but. If risk-based vulnerability management actually worked, 
we would be getting better, not worse. And so what's really interesting here is we focus on CVSS score, EPSS, KEV. Uh, maybe, maybe those are the thing, those things are important, but, uh, uh, by themselves, they're, they're, they're meaningless. Uh, the, the, the only reason people don't patch is because they don't want it to disrupt their lives, right? No one can answer, will this break my and there's empirical data. And now we talked about data-driven decisions. Now this is of, of course, uh, uh, self, self-fulfilling in this case. Uh, but less than 2% of patches are ever rolled back. And so this is a, a, a an acknowledged bias. You can, uh, uh do, attempt to do some research on this to, to validate this claim or not. Um, but even with less than 2% of patches ever re- being rolled back, you're not going to play uh, Russian roulette with your critical systems. And so the way that we're approaching the, to, uh, the, the solving of this, this problem is by providing a way to quantify what, what you're afraid of, uh, and then it, it essentially turning that into what safe means to you. And so if it's 10,000 other people have patched that thing, there's a less than 2% global fail rate across the track platform and your test infrastructure has a hundred percent uh, success rate will then auto patch. And so what I think the metric makes mo- the, the metric to us, and this is what, what Tract is founded on is the metric for patching isn't which vulnerability uh, is the most likely to be exploited today, because that's the metric that's being used is which one is being, being exploited today, which one has uh, weaponization today, uh, which one's making more, the most money for the, the malicious actors today, but which vulnerabilities have patches that have demonstrated uh, zero operational risk to your company and forget about like not, not quite forget about, but, but understand that you can auto patch most of, most of the, the, uh, so the updates that come out. And when you can't, because there is some operational risk that deviates from the threshold you've set, well, then we'll let you know. And you do those during a maintenance window or put compensating controls around them. That's our take on, on, on how to solve for vulnerability management. Okay. So in your answer, which which was a great answer, by the way. It, it it covered a lot of territory, but in doing that, it also was a great illustration of why this whole notion of risk is complicated. Oh, certainly, no you doubt. Know, this is not a not a simple thing. And even the question of whether my organization should spend money on patch management. Or take our finite resources and spend them on some other mitigation. So do you find that you are getting involved as you talk to customers in these questions about, you know, if I spend X amount of dollars on this patch management solution, will it give me Y dollars of enhanced risk abatement you know do do you do you find yourself i mean do you find yourself in all of these and th- there are so many glorious frameworks out there there's nist and fair and and you know 20 others but do you find yourself in these conversations about larger risk issues and being a part of that total risk management discussion the short answer is yes, we find ourselves in these conversations. What's interesting, though, is our platform has been built from the ground up to, to tackle both vulnerability management and patch management in a single platform. Now, there are a handful of uh, uh, there are hundreds of vendors on, in this space, and there are a few notable ones that have both patching and 
uh, vulnerability management components, but they started with one of them and tacked on another built by different product management teams, et cetera. We built it from the ground up to do both at the same time, unifying uh, uh, or, or allowing for, for security teams and IT teams to share context in the same console. So as a security person, I see what I care about, but it's in the context of the IT person. So it enables us to start having more collaborative conversations. And nearly every account we have on the platform has both an IT person and a security person as a user on the platform. And what that allows for is this facilitation of a collaborative uh, conversation versus one that's just filled with consternation. Uh, So... I, th- I think that what's really uh, another, another cool component about our platform is that it's right now it's completely free. Uh, we don't have a premium tier of the product. And the reason is because we want to take the data. We want to collect this data about patching experience and share it with everybody else. So as you patch, it benefits others. And as others patch, it benefits you. And to Brian's point where he works with a bunch of nonprofits and those with no budgets, uh, finding and fixing your vulnerabilities, that is scanning for vulnerabilities, uh, and, and deploying those patches will be free on the track platform forever across all operating systems that we support. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a, a thing we say all the time. It's a, it's a, a commitment we have to the security community for those that, that don't have the financial, uh, abilities like large financial institutions. Uh, uh you're not left out, uh, to dry. Uh, in, in the proverbial cyber landscape anymore, you can uh, uh, go on onto our website, download download agents unlimited uh, and and see your cyber risk immediately and, and start patching it. Um, so I, 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 I think that the the ROI conversation is an interesting one, but it's it's not the only thing that matters. And again, like you can put 50, you could pay, premium for a, a patching tool. You can pay 10 cents per agent for a patching tool. Uh, but the thing that's actually going to drive uh, 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 the needle forward in reducing your cyber risk in any tool, not in just patching, but in, in uh, phishing resistance, in uh, 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 credential theft, is, is building tools that are, are built for human behavior uh, and, and understanding that both IT and security uh, are, are one cares about cyber risk, one cares about operational risk. And if you don't have a shared uh, uh, goal uh, and I'll make a, a liking this of uh, this to like uh, product market product or uh, sorry, marketing teams and sales teams, if their goals aren't aligned, they're always going to be pointing the, your, their fingers at one another. We see this all the time. Uh, it's the same thing with security and IT. If you can't point them in the same goal, uh, then then we're we're doomed to continue to fail. Well, thank you, Mike. And unfortunately, our show is running a little low on time. Some amazing wisdom. So thank you so much for being here. I want to give you maybe a just chance to to tell the folks at home. We talked a little bit about go to our website. Where's Tracty's website? How can they get started? How can they get involved? And maybe even download uh, your services. Yeah, absolutely. You go to track.com. That's T-R-A-C-K-D.com slash sign up. Uh, there's a big sign up button. If you don't, and you just go to track.com. You can shoot me a note, Mike at track.com. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, and the great thing is that you don't need to do any any research beforehand. You can log in less than five minutes to account creation to your first remediation. Well, thanks again for being here. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a great time. 
Well, folks, you have done it again. You sat through another hour of the best staying enterprise and IT podcast in the universe. So definitely tune your podcatcher to Twyat. We want to make sure we thank everyone who makes this show possible, especially to my amazing co-host, Thunder of Everyone, Mr. Brian Chi. Cheever, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? Maybe get in touch with you. Maybe find out what you're doing this week. Uh, probably working with Victor, unfortunately, bleeping our guest. <laughs> anyway, oh. I still use t- Twitter, which is now called X, which I still say is one of the dumbest name changes I've ever heard of. I am A-D-V-N-E-T-L-A-B, Advanced Net Lab, and I'd like to share all kinds of ideas. People have been throwing all kinds of questions at me. Um, <clears throat> I'm also Chebert, spelled C-H-E-E-B-E-R-T at twit.tv. You're also welcome to use twiet at twit.tv. And as a tease, because December is one of those really slow months, um, it's hard to get guests. We're going to do a experiment. And because it's my ex-student, I get to twist his arm. One of the really, really big comments we've had from a large number of our viewers is you would like us to go into a lot more detail. We want deep dives is almost, you know, it's almost a ubiquitous request from almost every comment I get. Not all, but close. So we're going to try it. One of the lesser understood but very commonly used technologies on the Internet is domain name services. We're going to get together with one of my ex-students, Joshua Cool, and his co-author, Ross, and I can't remember Ross's last name, and we're going to do three episodes in a row diving really, really deep into DNS and try to pull away the curtain on talking about security issues, implementation issues. Basically, we're going to go past, present, and future of DNS and hopefully you folks like it. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Cheever, for being here. Well, we also have to thank our very own Mr. Kurz Franklin. Curtis, thank you again for being here. What's coming up for you? Where can people find your work? Well, I'm I'm writing my trends to watch for 2024, just published on Omnia. So I'll be writing a little bit about that, probably over on LinkedIn, where you can follow me at Curtis Franklin. Um, I will also be publishing some things uh, at uh, dark uh, at dark reading. Uh, if you go to dark reading slash Omdia, you'll find uh, what I write there as well as what my colleagues write. And I tend to be on some of the social platforms. I will admit. I am on X very little these days. You can find me most of the time on LinkedIn at Curtis Franklin. Uh, you're welcome to follow me on Facebook or um, I'm looking hard at threads, trying to decide whether that's going to be a useful network. And in the meantime, I'm always on Mastodon where I'm KG4GWA at mastodon.sdf.org. Find me any of those places, send me a message. I always love to hear from members of the Twyat Riot. Thank you, Curtis. Well, we also have to thank you as well. You're the person who drops in each and every week to get your enterprise goodness. We want to make it easy for you to watch, listen, and catch up on your enterprise and IT news. You go to our show page right now. 
twit.tv slash twyatt. There you go. You'll find all the amazing back episodes, the co-host information, show notes, guest information. But more importantly, there are next to those videos there. You use those helpful subscribe and download links. Support the show by getting your audio version or your video version of your choice. Listen on any one of your devices or any one of your podcast applications because we're on all of them. So definitely subscribe and support the show. Plus, if you've also heard, we also have Club Twit. That's right. It's a members only ad free podcast service with a bonus Twit Plus feed that you can't get anywhere else. And it's only $7 a month. That's right. Not only do you get exclusive access to our podcast, but also some great things that come with it members only Discord server. Plus, you can chat with hosts, producers. There's lots of discussion channels on there. There's amazing special events. Definitely check those out. Lots of fun stuff, lots of channels. So definitely join Club Twit. Be part of that fun. Go to twit.tv slash club twit now they also offer corporate group plans as well it's really great way for your entire team to get access to all of our ad free tech podcasts and the plans start with five members at a discounted rate of just six dollars each per month and you can add as many seats as you like there it's really a great way for your it departments your developers your tech teams your support teams to stay up to date with all of our podcasts and just like that regular membership you can also join the twist twit discord server as well and they get that twit plus bonus feed so definitely check out club twit of course they offer also offer family plans it's 12 dollars a month to get two seats and you can add more seats six dollars each per month so definitely check out club twit really great way to keep on top of everything and also be part of the movement there now after you subscribe i want you to impress your fan your friends your family members your co-workers with the gift of twyatt because we you know we talk a lot some fun tech topics on this show and i guarantee they will find it fun and interesting as well so definitely share it with them and have them subscribe as well i would love to chat i love messages from you so send me over there over at uh, x.com slash lumm or some lewis maresca on linkedin direct message me with show ideas thoughts on the show how you think it's going more tech topics that kind of thing so definitely hit me up there and if you're interested in what i do on my normal work week at microsoft i want you to go to developers.microsoft.com slash office. There it is. It's a really great way for you to customize your office solution, make it more productive for you and your organization. And of course, if you have Microsoft 365 Open Excel right now, there's an automate tab there. You can record macros. You can edit JavaScript and TypeScript. You can run them in Power Automate in different orchestrations. You can do lots of amazing stuff. So definitely check that out. It's a new and really great way for you to, to create automation. I want to thank everyone who makes this show possible, especially to Leo and to Lisa. They continue to support this week at Enterprise Tech each and every week, and we can do the show without them. So thank you for their support over the years. Of course, thank you to all the staff and engineers at Twit. And of course, thank you to Mr. Brian Chi one more time. He's not only our co-host, but he's also our amazing producer and our tireless producer. He does all the show bookings and, and, and the, the, the organizational stuff behind the scenes, and we really couldn't do the show without him. So thank you, Chibert, for all your support. And of course, thank you to the editor for today because they're going to cut out all of my mistakes. So thank you very much. First, thank you to our technical director, Mr. Ant Pruitt. He's also on a great show called This Week in Google as well. Ant, what's going on this weekend on Twit for you? Okay, Mr. Lou. Normally, I do hop on here and plug some stuff for myself, but I got to tell you, um, do we need to have a moment with Mr. Chi? This man started out the show yelling about some students and was on fire and raging, and then he ended the show saying how he's going to twist this one student's arm for our <laughs> DNS segment. Uh, Mr. Chi, are you okay, sir? Are you, you good? Yeah, no, 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 no. It, you know, being able to abuse your students is a perk, right? <laughs> 
Says the retired guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not signing up for any of your courses, sir. Wow. <laughs> I got a really short, great story. My students and I helped do some fiber optic repairs at the Hilton Hawaiian Village in preparation for the Western Governors Association Conference. As a reward, we got to go to the um, banquet. I know my kids were starving, but I was just talking, having a great time, talking to the governor of Colorado, and they just sat there. They were waiting to see who would pick up the fork because they had no idea what fork to use. <laughs> so we 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 arranged with uh, Hilton Catering. We did a full. We did a grilled cheese sandwich lunch for my students, but with all the china, all the silverware, and all the glasses, just so they could learn what stuff to use. Oh man! Yeah, all the things they don't teach in public schools in America. But I learned because I went to a parochial school. You, you are just, you, you are one for the ages, my man. That <laughs> That's is, all that I'll is. say. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, speaking one for the ages, until next time, I'm Louis Baresco just around you. If you want to know what's going on in the enterprise, just keep quiet. Listeners of this program get an ad-free version if they're members of Club Twit. $7 a month gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows, plus membership in the Club Twit Discord, a great clubhouse for Twit listeners. And finally, the Twit Plus feed with shows like Stacy's Book Club, The Untitled Linux Show, and more. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before. And your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part.